Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter. And I am joined, as always, by the Snoopy to my Charlie Brown, Brandon. Snoopy's the star of the show, man. So <laughs> I don't know if we got this correct. I think Snoopy's the, the sidekick. But yeah, I feel a little... I just picked that because right now I feel a little bit like Charlie Brown. And why is you know, that? Well, Charlie Brown. Every day is kind of the same for Charlie Brown. It's just we're in that time. Look... You and I are in Minnesota. I'm looking out my window. Dude, it is snowing. I mean, it's not just, it's like coming down. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> and I know it's mid-March and we still get snow here in Minnesota, but it's just that time of the year that it's kind of a grind to be here. No, I couldn't agree more because we keep getting teased with these days where it's like above 30, a little bit of sun peaks through, and then it's like, yeah. oh yeah, tomorrow's going to be cloudy and full of snow. Have fun with that. It's like it's like uh, Charlie Brown, he goes to you know kick the football, and this time Lucy's going to hold it for him, and then every single time the same thing happens. She pulls the football up, and down he goes onto his backside. I just feel like it's the same old thing. But the Minnesota it, climate <laughs> is like Lucy pulling the football from underneath us. I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a little warmer this week, which is good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of warmer, man, you went to the tropical paradise of Omaha last weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was tropically colder than it was probably in Minnesota. <laughs> Extremely windy. Really? Nothing to block that wind at yeah, all. That's true. It was, uh, that's it was true. crazy windy. But yes, I did. A, I made a quick appearance down in Omaha, Nebraska on Friday night for a live podcast for The Flush um, down hey, at Peasant Fest. Yeah, I looked, I looked at the photos on the, on the internets, and it looked like fun. Like, there was a pretty good group of people there, and there was even like a... A young couple who were what they're going on their honeymoon on a bird hunting trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was quite a turnout. I was I was pretty impressed with the turnout. It was a lot of fun. There's some good questions, and there's just a couple good conversations with random hunters that were there at Pheasant Fest as well. And yes, a young couple that is engaged, and they're going on a bird hunting adventure for their honeymoon. So they asked uh, Travis where they uh, thought he should they should go. That's funny. How was now, your weekend? Mine was well. Wait, boring. wait. Before oh. I'll, I want to get to my weekend, <laughs> but I want to. My last question for you is: What kind of blaze orange swag did you pick up at Pheasant Fest? You know what, Tony? I'm 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 all work, no play. So I oh I, no, I literally didn't. I decided not to even. I didn't really have much time, but I didn't even really go into Pheasant Fest itself. Oh, I bummer. pretty much did that live show on Friday. I edited the live show into the wee hours of the morning, put it out in the morning, and then I was like, Omaha's cool and all, but I think I'm just going to head back now. So yeah, gotcha. headed back Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I just just kind of took it easy on the road. So it it, it wasn't as uh, cool of a Pheasant Fest experience as most other people had, so I did not come home with any swag, unfortunately. But, gotcha, gotcha. but I did hear the guys did bring back a couple things for me. So I'll, I hope they did. Yeah, I hope you get some swag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Enough about me and my you know weekend or whatever it was. How was your weekend? It sounds well, pretty exciting to me. Look, man, my weekend was not that exciting. But <laughs> my uh, my oldest child is home for spring break from college. Um, he drives a crappy old car that I bought for him, 
And he had kind of been warning me because it's been out east at his college for many months. I haven't seen that car. I've, of course, been paying insurance on it, but he hasn't been driving it. So it's been sitting in a parking lot. And then he's like, oh, it won't start. The car won't start. I'm like, well, yeah, when was the last time you drove it? Oh, I don't know, before Thanksgiving sometime. <laughs> I was like, well, there's a reason it doesn't start, dude, because the battery's dead. And then he's like, the guy came to jump it. It needs a new alternator. Blah, okay, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then he, as as 21-year-olds will do, he left New Hampshire at like 5 p.m., and drove 21 straight hours home. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember when you used to do stuff like that? I just did like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in that. I'm still You're young that. at heart. Yeah, oh I was just going to say that young frame of mind. <laughs> I kept texting him like, please pull over. And like, I'll pay for your hotel room. It's not worth, you know, driving through the night. And he would just text me back, like, have you ever listened to this one Pink Floyd album? (laughs) (laughs) But then, Brandon, he rolls in in this car, and it is so beat to shit, you would not believe it. (laughs) What did you do? I was like, what happened to that car? He's like, Dad, aren't you impressed? So he obviously bought, it's it's, it's a black 2013 Ford Focus. He bought some black duct tape. And he duct taped much of it together. <laughs> but he also, I said, I saw, I thought I saw some zip ties. He's like, oh, yeah, this is so smart of me. I drilled some holes in it. And then so I could zip tie different pieces so they wouldn't fall off the car while I was driving home. <laughs> I mean, I drive a 2016 Focus. I could use some customization tips, so I should go to him. Oh, my gosh, dude. I'm going to. I am going to text you some pictures of this vehicle. It is, it's really a sight to behold. That's so awesome. I'm, 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 I'm kind of proud of them. I miss those days when you could duct tape your car and nobody would judge you. <laughs> you know what I mean? My gosh. <laughs> It'd be fine if he owned the car, but I own the car. I don't want a piece of crap car that's duct taped together. This thing's worth nothing. Although, if any of the listeners want to buy it, they can. It's for sale. Uh, it's officially for sale. Best offer. I will consider all offers on the 2013 duct tape. You know, guys have duct tape wallets. Yeah. Like a fully full wallet made of duct tape. Well, here you go. Here's a car. It's almost all duct tape. It's that ingenuitive spirit. Oh, my gosh. That kid. Well, um, before I introduce our guest, I just want to tell people um, – Hey, maybe people follow me on social media they've seen, but I'm teaching an online class for Lent, which we're in right now on on Augustine's Confessions, along with my favorite professor from my college uh, from many years ago, but he's just brilliant. So you can find that on all the socials called Confessions for Lent. Love to have people sign up for that if they're interested. And... Um, I've got trips planned that I'm guiding uh, to the Boundary Waters and to Italy, but it looks like they're sold out. So if if listeners are interested in that, you can email me and I'll put you on the wait list or or put you on the list for 2023 because I think I'll be doing those trips again. So that's a little bit of some other stuff that's going on in my life. Um, And now our guest this week is Kang Yang. Kang you can find Kang at minnesota-hunter.com. It's in the show notes. 
Kang and I have hunted together. He is a pretty new hunter. He's only been hunting for about five years. But he's, well, he became super famous, Brandon, because he was on the Flush TV show, which well, makes stars of everybody. Yeah, that drives up superstardom, yeah, across the board. I When are they going to get you on that TV show, man? I, you know what? I can't follow people like Kang who actually know how to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I bet they'd make you look good on camera. That's true. If they can make themselves look good, they could maybe make me look good. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> well, Kang was on uh, The Flush a couple seasons ago. You can find that episode on YouTube. Um, but he's just a fantastic guy. He hunts waterfowl and upland. We talk a lot about dogs. We talk about growing up Hmong in Minnesota and his his idea called The Secret Hunters. Um yeah, he's such a great guy and just such a, truly a joyful spirit and very optimistic, fun guy. He's really great to be with in Duck Blind. I can tell you that from personal experience because he's a ton of fun to talk to. Uh, so, yeah, I really liked having Kang on. And Brandon, I appreciate that we could again. It, it, we're slowly coming back to in-person interviews, which is fun. It's absolutely awesome. I love it. And, and and a person like Kang too, like it's even better having him in person because he just has so much fun energy coming off of him. It's it's it it transfers over to you. Yeah, it's super good. It's super fun. All right. So everybody, thanks as always for listening. As you may have noticed that we talked about it last time. We're trying this new format with interviews that are a little longer, but they only come out once a month. So hopefully that's not overwhelming you with content and gives you a little more in-depth conversation. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating on uh, you know, your your favorite podcasting app and of course uh, a review would be helpful, sharing it with your friends would be helpful, on sharing it on social media. We love to hear from our listeners, so please let us know what you think. Here is my interview with Minnesota Hunter Ken Yang. What's up, buddy? Not much. Good to see you again. You're like, it's funny when you walk in here to the Ron Share Production Studios, the world global headquarters, cosmic universal headquarters. <laughs> yeah. You're like a star, bro. No. Because you've been on their TV show. I've never been on their TV show. Stop. Brandon's never been on their TV show. <laughs> you've been on their TV show. Stop. <laughs> Brandon even made their social media feed. I didn't even make the social media feed after we went past <laughs> King. Yeah. How'd you get how'd you end up on the Flesh TV show? How'd that tell um, me the story of that? Yeah, so I got on um because I met Travis at a PF banquet. Okay. Pheasants yeah. Forever Banquet. Pheasants Forever Banquet. So after my first year of hunting, I was like, I need to get into the community more. I need to meet people, I need to network. Yeah. Just find people who like to hunt too and just, you know, share stories. And Travis was at the PF banquet and he walks in with this, you know, bright orange blazer yep. and no one's, I, I don't know. I feel like no one was talking to him, approaching him. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and here I am all geeked out. Like here's like a, you know, a TV star. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, Hey Travis, I, you know, I went up to him. I was like, Hey, you know, I watched your, you know, on the flush and, you know, it's great meeting you. And, you know, he's like, yeah, come sit down with me. And we just sat, you know, we just sat at that banquet, talked, and he's like, you know, you should come on the show. I, you know, I'd love to do a piece with you and your story. So, and that day I brought a, a apprentice hunter with me too. So. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And what, what Pheasants Forever chapter was that? Um, I think it was Ramsey County. Okay. So right in yeah. St. Paul area. Yeah. 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 
So that's awesome, man. Yeah. So that's how I, I kind of started. And then they did a they did a, a TV show with you and Simon, right? Yes. Two kind of new hunters. Yep. And hunters, both hunters from I don't know uh, unconventional backgrounds. Yes. Because yep. he's he's a immigrant from Germany. Yep. And you're Hmong. Yep, Hmong and anti-hunting before I started hunting. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> did, did, did you grow up in the Twin Cities? Yes. So we, I was born in California, came here when I was three or four. Okay. To Minis- to and Minnesota, to, for listeners who don't know, Minnesota's got a very large Hmong population. Yep. And why is that? What, what, was, the, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, so the reason why is um, because of the Vietnam War. So in 1975... The first wave of Hmong immigrants came to the United States, and I think majority California. But then, you know, families start moving out to different states, and um, everyone just kind of followed each other to Minnesota, and now we just have a huge population. Do you here. know what the original reason why some came from California to Minnesota was? There a particular industry or jobs or? I don't think there was the fishing, <laughs> the hunting the and Hmong fishing. Do like to fish? Oh yeah, they and love deer to, hunt. Yes. And deer hunt. Yeah. Yes, they're compa- super competitive. About Is that it. true? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, I think what they came here was um, just opportunity and okay. um, help. Right, I th- uh, my mom told me when she was younger. She remembered as an immigrant um, being at a church for Christmas and seeing presents under the table or under the tree. And you know, I think that was a big reason why it's just a lot of the community help from churches. And so you moved here when you were five. Yep. And um, what was your what what was it like moving here as a five year old kid? I mean, did you go to school with a bunch of other Hmong kids, or were you the only Hmong kid, or what was the experience like of? I mean, because the 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 stereotype of Minnesota is people like me, white. I'm like third or fourth generation Minnesotan. Yeah. All my grandparents were from either like Great Britain, Wales, Germany, or Norway. So like Northern European white people. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the stereotype of Minnesota. Yeah. But that obviously isn't totally true because you're part of Minnesota. Yeah. So what was your, what was it like, your upbringing? Um, you know, to be honest, I felt like it was normal. Mm. I mean, I, in school, I, we... I remember living in North Minneapolis, but like friends-wise, it was kind of diverse. And then we moved to Crystal, which is more white populated at that time. Um, and a lot of my childhood friends were like, you know, white Americans. And and then we went to the suburbs, <clears throat> you know, up to Brooklyn Park. And I don't know, it, it was just normal um, for me. Like, I didn't see anything different outside of it. Yeah. And before we get to hunting, what's your what's your day job? What do you do for a day job? I work in IT. Okay. So, yeah. Like it? Love it. Really? Love, yeah, love it. It's uh it's definitely uh, you know, I noticed the outdoor industry could use a lot of more tech. Yeah. support or tech adoption, you know. Are you remote or are you back in the office or what? Um, back in the office okay. and uh, sometimes at home. So, it depends on the day or yeah. how I feel. Yeah. It's nice to have. <laughs> it's totally up to you whether you yeah. go in or not. Yeah, it's oh, nice to have cool. that kind of flexibility from management. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about hunting. Yeah. Let's talk about. Um, you already referenced the fact that you were anti hunting. Yeah. Why? How come? I just, um, you know, I, I grew up loving animals and, you know, being compassionate towards, you know, 
in anything I do, like with humans or animals, just being the, having that compassion and love for, you know, living things. And when hunting came, when, you know, when my dad hunts like religiously. So tell me about that. Yeah. Where did that, did he hunt before he came to the States? Yep. So he hunted ever I mean, he hunt when he could walk pretty much because, wow. you know, they lived in the jungles of Laos and, you know, food was, you know, meat was scarce, I guess, or hard to come by. And, you know, you, in order to feed, you know, your huge families, what, what they had back there, you know, you know, hunting was a means of survival and living for them. So. What kind of stuff would he have hunted in the jungles of Laos? Oh, anything that moves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking like rats. I'm thinking yep. snakes. Yep. I'm think- yes, is yep. that right? Going, yep. <laughs> no kidding. Anything that moves and doesn't matter how big or small it is. Gosh, no, I'm reading a memoir a from a, a Vietnamese guy, Ocean Vong. Do you know that name? He wrote a memoir called On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous. And he tells some stories. The whole memoir is written as a love letter to his mother, who's from Vietnam. And there's a very harrowing episode in the book in which he recounts his mom telling this story of, um, maybe it was his, her, his grandma telling this story. They caught a monkey. These guys caught a monkey, and then they cut its scalp, its like skull open, and ate the brain live while the monkey was still alive. And this was like supposed to be uh, aphrodisiac and for virility and become more masculine things like that. So when you say anything that moves, I'm guessing that may well have actually been the case. Monkeys, yeah, they're included. is that true? They uh, eat monkeys. Yeah, I, yeah, they would. I mean, anything really. Have you? Gone back there at all? No, I have not. Do I you want to? I don't, to be honest. Oh. You know, I I love being in the United States. I actually, I don't really want to travel outside of the states at all. You know, there's just so much to see in the United States. In, yeah. in, in each state. And so that's not an interest of you, like going to your finding your roots or. No, I think I have my roots enough. You know, from what yeah. my parents tell me and what I learned from the traditions we still keep alive today. You yeah. know, yeah. so. Well, we'll get to that because I'm super interested in those traditions. Yeah. So your dad uh, ends up in Minnesota, and what kind of stuff is he hunting when you're growing up? Uh, mostly squirrel and deer when I was growing up. Okay. He didn't get into pheasant till later on. Um, I think it was like 2000, the year 2000 or something, mm-hmm. um, because I actually made him buy me a dog, a German short hair. Hmm. <laughs> and you know, I was like, "Yeah, I just want a puppy," and he's like, "Okay, well." Nah. So you didn't, you weren't asking for a hunting dog. I was asking for a hunting. Oh, dog. Oh, you were. Oh, yeah. you were. Because oh, yeah. I was like, okay. the only way I'm going to get a hunting dog, or the only way I'm going to get a dog, is if it benefits him, which is hunting. Oh, so. gotcha. <laughs> I had to be a little strategic yeah. there in my <laughs> right, right. So, were you eating venison that he was bringing home? Yeah, um, <clears throat> he'd ask me to eat it. You know, or make it and have you eat it. You know, I tried it here and there, and it wasn't my wasn't your cup bag. of tea. Yeah, yeah. So you, your, your dad's hunting, and you're anti-hunting. And are you like arguing with him when you're an adolescent about that? Are you like trying to convince him that what he was doing was wrong? Um, not arguing with him because he probably argued back and <laughs> sent me to timeout or something. But <laughs> you know, I would just ignore it. You know, yeah. when he comes in, the you know, when he says, I'm going hunting, I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's cool. And when he comes home with, with you know, with game, I I don't really want to, you know, I don't I don't ever partake in, like, the the processing of the meat and oh, interesting. talking about what the, what they experienced. I never, I just kind of went to my room and 
did my own thing, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. just to avoid it. So, how old were you when you changed, and what what led to that? What changed me to become a hunter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was twenty seven. So that was five years ago now. So, um, I've always been passionate about the outdoors, and you know, love being outside no matter what. And um, what really made me want to pursue hunting was because I got my my dog, right? My dog, Kaya. And so she made me go outdoors and that's what got us into hunting. But, you know, I realized that um, five years ago that, you know, this is another way to explore and learn more about the outdoors. So was there some change of heart uh, regarding the, the ethics of it? Like if you thought it was being mean to animals and then what, what thinking caused you to say well maybe it's not like or or do you still feel conflicted about that or no i don't feel conflicted at all anymore uh yeah and there was definitely a big change of ethics uh and i justified it by saying thinking or time you know believing that my dog is you know a wild you know well not wild but then it's a dog it eats and how does it eat it either uh hunts or you know you feed it right and actually my dog you know being hunting dogs you want them to being compassionate towards animals, I wanted her to have, you know, a meaningful and enriched life, right? And to provide that is to go hunting. And so that's what changed my mind um, on the ethics part. Like, now it's okay. It's, it's justifiable because I could be like, if she was still a wild dog, she would hunt to eat, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she would kill a bird or... Because she's a predator. Yeah, she's a predator, so... <laughs> you know, it's funny, and I, I can say this, and I'm sure this guy doesn't, this buddy of mine does not listen to my podcast, definitely not. <laughs> so I can say it without him ever hearing it. But I have a friend who has a GSP, German Short Hair Pointer. And he brought that dog over to play with my dog one time. That dog is crazy. Energy. Oh my yeah. gosh, the energy. Out it's, the door. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So this guy and his wife bought a dog treadmill. Uh huh. And they run the dog on the dog treadmill every day. He's like <laughs> posts about it on Instagram. Like, bro, yeah. just take the dog hunting. Yeah, just take like, the dog hunting. I know, right? That's, that's what says you don't you buy it, you're like doing right. everything to try to give the dog the same experience of like the exercise and the, you know, everything else that a dog but the dog really wants, what the dog really wants. And it's he's like, hunt. Oh, we go to the dog park and that dog just chases around little dogs. I'm like, because he's a predator. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, like that's, you know, it goes back to that. Like, you know, I could have went that route where just take my dog for walks or go to dog parks or, you know, do agilities. Nothing wrong with, you know, sporting agility and stuff. But at the core, you know, she is a hunting dog. She's bred to hunt. And so by by picking up hunting myself, you know, we I provide that enrichment for her. And on the bonus, enriched my life with it too, right? So So. your dog really led you into hunting. Like it was first, dad, get me a dog or I want to get a dog. And then... You you knew right away you wanted to get a hunting dog. I mean, there's millions of dogs you could have chosen. You yeah. could have picked a rescue dog or whatever, yep. a dog like Brandon, big, big, goofy rescue dog. Yeah. But you chose a hunting dog yep. knowing that the dog would would get you into hunting. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a um, story in there, too. So the first hunting dog was, you know, a German short hair. But I didn't hunt still. <laughs> I still hated hunting, you yeah. know. I just wanted a dog. <laughs> so my dad still did all the hunting, all the training. Oh, so your dad was hunting with that first dog of yours. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I wasn't. 
Okay. I didn't. Okay. That was when I was like maybe ten or eleven, like gotcha. that. And then I really didn't pick up hunting until I got my, you could say, second dog, Kaya. And that was yeah five years ago. So, um, but yeah, you know, before my first, you know, the first dog, we I didn't do any kind of hunting. And now I look back, you know, and my dad shows me pictures. I'm like, oh my gosh, like. I'm so sad. Like I missed. You could out have on been that. hunting with that first dog. Yeah, yeah, I could have been hunting with that first dog. Yeah, I could have been in the fields with you. Hashtag no regrets, baby. Yeah, you know, no it's regrets. like oh, it's just so much. Like my dad shows you all these pictures of him and all the pheasants they always see and get, and you know, all the dogs just work. I was like, oh. what was that dog's name? Rex. Rex. Yep. So, um, I mean, it's interesting because I think you and I are similar. I mean, yours it happened a lot faster. Mine had happened a little bit slower, but we both. I mean, when you when you became a hunter, it became like all consuming in your life. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like other than your job and your family, yeah. It's like it is what you are all about. Yes. Yep. And I'm the same way. It. I mean, it. Like I say, I first duck hunted and pheasant hunted a little bit in my early 30s. Ducks in my early 30s, pheasants in my late 30s. But it was like in the last five years, it became the thing that I'll, it's like what I think about all the time. Yeah. It's the one hobby that I'm totally committed to. And let's not even talk about how much money we spend on it. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I know. I've been mentoring a guy yeah. who was, at, who, I've been mentoring a guy and he's, he's actually been on the podcast before. And he, he went and bought this gun. Without he didn't check it, but he he just fell in love with hunting, and he's just like went to Cabela's and be like, "I need to buy a gun." I'm like, "Dude, you got to talk to me first before you do this," because yeah. he ended up buying a super expensive gun, and it's good, it's a nice gun and everything, but it's not the gun I would have encouraged him to get. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then I was kind of giving him grief about that, and then I thought, I can't. Let me tell you something. Uh, here's a confession, live confession on the podcast. Oh, get ready, guys. My favorite, I'll, I'll give you three guesses for my absolute, not a firearm, but my absolute favorite piece of hunting apparel. Three guesses. What do you think it might be? Hunting apparel, your three favorite pieces. Just oh, pick one, but I'll give you three choices, three chances okay. to guess it. Your favorite My piece. favorite, absolute favorite piece of hunting apparel. Boots. No, but I do love my boots. I gosh, I love my boots. They're a close <laughs> second. Okay, one down. You get two more guesses. Gloves. I do love my gloves. <laughs> Hashtag Ironclad. Thank you for the sponsorship. Ironclad gloves. Yeah. I do love my gloves. No, that's not number one. You get one last chance. Your vest. That I also love, but that's not number one. It's my Filson double tin chaps. Okay. Okay, for upland hunting. And I, ha- I send them every year to Seattle, and they have to stitch them up because they're ripped from barbed wire and whatever. Yeah. And I was wearing them at the end of this season, just this January, and I'm looking at them like, they're not going to be able to fix these. They're, they're too – they're just ripped everywhere. I've worn them thin. I've, I've worn these chaps so much. But Filson doesn't ever have – for like all through COVID, for the last two years, they've been out of stock, like out of stock of chaps, out of stock of chaps. So I'm filling out my repair claim because I'm sending them back to Seattle. I actually dropped them at the UPS store on the way here today. 
to see if they can stitch him up and try to patch him up one more time. Yeah. So I was on the Filson website. I'm like, I'll just check. They never, they've been out of stock for two years. On, they had them. <laughs> I bought two pairs. <laughs> I bought two new pairs. Nice. And I'm shipping them the used pair to yeah. patch up. So, and those chaps aren't cheap. No. Filson chaps are 150 bucks for the double. So I bought one pair of double tin and one pair of single tin. So now I got like the winter pair and the fall pair <laughs> of chaps. But that's just an example of yeah. And that's what hunting does to you, you know. Like spend. it's like little things when you go hunting. It just um, brings so much connection and emotion to just the things you use. Right? What's your favorite piece of gear? Ah, uh, my I don't know. Let me see here. My favorite piece of gear would probably be my boots. What kind? Um, muck boots. Okay. Yep. Oh, so you wear muck boots. Yeah. Yeah. I know guys who, my dear friend who taught me a ton about pheasant hunting, Jorge, he, um, he wears muck boots. But I feel like if you don't have laces, doesn't your heel scrape up and down on the back? Um, sometimes. I mean, you just have to have the right fit. Have to on, be tight. Yeah, and, and you know your thick socks, the right sock on, and just yeah. you gotta have to know how to walk too, right? Kind of like how, yeah. how do you pick up your foot when you're in that ter- any kind of terrain. But I think muck boots are probably the best for anyone because they can go from early season to late season. True, um, they're waterproof, right? Well, not yeah. waterproof, but water resistant. Yeah. So you know, if you happen to step in puddles, you know you don't have to worry about getting wet. You could cross a creek, a shallow creek, if you want to. True. Yeah, the only downside, yeah. yeah, and you know the material is really thin where they're flexible. Where I feel like you know I can walk for I don't know hours. Just is that right? I yeah. do have a pair and I wear them sometimes, but I'm a big fan of the leather. I I have Irish setter boots that are leather and I lace them up real tight. But I know what you're saying. I mean, there are days when I get back in the truck and I'm like, both of my feet are completely soaked. Brandon yeah. knows this. He's been in my truck with completely soaked feet. Yeah. Um, so muck boots do come in handy. Yeah. I mean, they get soaked too. I mean, you know, you have your instances. But you do, yeah. Majority of the time, you don't have to worry about getting soaked. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me more about your dog. What do, you, what do you love about her? I just love her, you know, her willingness to please, you know, and work with me and always in a cheerful mood so what's her personality like i mean different dogs have different personalities (laughs) with me she's really loving you know Uh you know she likes to hug or hugs and cuddles and you know kisses and um but she's very standoffish to guys so any kind of guy that approaches her she she'll bark and um you know yeah because you didn't bring her when when you and i went duck hunting last fall yeah because you know she's a little standoffish at first and uh she also doesn't like other dogs like messing with her. Uh-huh. So she'll she'll tolerate dogs, but dogs that come up to her and smell her too much or try to play with her too much, she doesn't like that. So she gets a little gets feisty. Feisty, yeah. And you know, I um, that hunt, the water was a small spot, and we had your lap. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did we? How many we we shot two? I sh- like did we shoot a duck and a snipe? What did we shoot yeah, that day? We shot a snipe and that was your first ever snipe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And we With shot it, it had about the th- a thimble full of meat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> like a pinky size of meat. I feel like <laughs> um, that. Yeah, we shot that snipe and two teals, right? Or three? Was it three teal or two, two or teal? Three. Yeah, wasn't a lot. Yeah, and then we lost one. Yeah, we didn't find one that yeah. dropped in there somewhere. And then we whiffed on a goose, like just. 
That was crazy. Yeah. The just remind it, <laughs> or tell the listeners about what that goose was like. So me in. yeah, me and um yeah, so me and you were like just sitting there and we see some geese flying in the background, right? Some swan or some cranes flying around and all of a sudden we see this I see this goose come right over the tree line. I'm like, Oh, this is a goose, get down and I'm calling it and all of a sudden like just like how it looks like in the movie or in the shows and books, cups of swings. About to land right in this little super small pond, right? Yeah. Like I'm like, why would it even land here? Because this is pond. No, yeah, yeah. There's no like, there's <laughs> no other geese. There's no other geese. There's trees, you know. Yeah. Next to the pond, it's hard to get up. It's a duck pond, it's not a, duck, a goose pond. Yeah, and it's coming in, right? And comes what like 20 yards in front of us, dude. And me and you just both miss like. <laughs> I missed worse than you. <laughs> that was brutal. Yeah, we each take like our three shots, and yeah. There goes the goose. I'm like, what happened? Like, <laughs> that was crazy. But that we should is, let it land. We should let it land and water swat it. That's what we should have did. That's true. Yeah, that is part of hunting, though, isn't it? I mean, you yeah. do remember those birds you miss. Yeah, you do, for sure. Yeah. So, um, waterfowl, upland, you do them both. Yep. A lot of people, a, a lot of hunters are specialists in mm-hmm. one or the other, but you're more of a generalist, right? Yeah, um, because, you know, again, I hunt because of my dog, you yeah. know. So I want to get her out there as much as I can, how, however often I can, on different types of hunting, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't done any tracking, but, you know, like, just, you know, I feel like pheasant and duck is what, is, and waterfowl is what yeah. she's bred to do, so. Tell me about your pheasant hunting last fall. What was the, how did it go? Where where did you hunt? How how many birds did you see? How much success did you have? Oh, this year was crazy good. Like, so much success. Um, on opener of pheasant, we hunted in southwest Minnesota. You could probably already guess where when I say southwest, but uh, me and my buddy, on pheasant, so we hunted on pheasant opener. Me and my buddy decided to do duck in the morning before we went on pheasants. So me and my buddy went and limited out on our ducks in the morning. I know, took us till I think one or two to finish that. And then we hopped in, changed clothes, you know, got our dogs geared up for pheasants, and we hit the pheasant fields. And we find two roosters, we get two roosters. And we miss on another two. So, which in Minnesota the the limit is two that part of the season. Yeah, two exactly. Per guy. So we could have got our limit of pheasants and ducks oh. in one day. That that's our that's still me and my friend Tufu's goal. So yeah, he's like my my best honey, honey buddy. So okay, okay. But yeah, that was still that's still our goal to this day. And is that all public land that you're hunting? Yep, all public land. Yeah. <laughs> How hard has it been for you to get access to public land in Minnesota? Uh, it's super easy for public land to get access, you know. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Didn't didn't the hunt? Where did we go? We were public too, wasn't it? It was private land, but it was walk-in access. Walk-in access. Yep. So that's the kind of stuff you're doing. But yep. I'm sorry. What I meant, it, you because you also call people. Yes. Like yep. you use the Onyx app, right? Yep. And you call people and try to get access to their land. Yep. Yep. And is that for goose hunting primarily? Yeah, for waterfall hunting. Or for goose, yes, just for goose primarily. Because, you know, early season geese, um, you can either hunt water or fields, right? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be hunting water for ducks, so I don't want to deal with the mud and yeah. multiple kind of decoys. Just to save a little more money, you know, I'll just stick to fields for geese. And that's why I went to fields. 
Um, that's why I call landowners and ask for private land. And what do people say to you when you call them just out of the blue and ask to hunt um, on their farm fields? They've been really nice. All the people that I've called and talked to, you know, I haven't had any bad interactions at all. Do I some just, people say no? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All the time. Oh, really? <laughs> like, that's majority right. of the time. Okay, so. okay. <laughs> you know, but I just, you know, say, hey, I, you know, I just be upfront and honest, like, hey, you know, um, I saw you have a field here. Um, there's some geese on there, or, you know, I want to try hunting on your field because there's geese in a roost nearby. You know, is it possible I could hunt on your land, you know, and just go from there, you know? And they either say yes or yep. they say no. Either, say, yeah, either they say yes or no, so. Do people ask you to pay money? No, they don't. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> in South Dakota, I think on private land, especially for pheasants, if you did that, a lot of people would be like, yeah, for 250 bucks a guy, you can hunt my farm. Mm, I never, yeah, I've never experienced that. That's, how, but uh, it's nice to hear that's not the case in Minnesota. Yeah, no, I don't, I think, um, you know, when I started hunting too, you know, you, you, you don't, you just don't experience just hunting and being outdoors, but you also experience community, mm-hmm. right? And sense of community and people, right? And you make connections through farmers and, you know, it's just crazy how much yeah you know connections you make right it's so. true um you started you you got you're really big in social media <laughs> i try to be yeah <laughs> and what's that about for you like what's the point of um being on tiktok as a hunter so the point of being a hunter on tiktok is just uh first like representation right i don't see many Hmong people, in, you know, on social media about doing hunting and, you know, stuff like that. There's, a, there's, we're coming out more, you know, I've seen other Hmong people do their YouTube channels and stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, second of all, it's to um, share the common knowledge and share, peop- like, what I've learned and help people, you know, be, have a successful hunt, successful hunt you know, uh, what motivated me the most I was like, what motivated me the most was like when I started a waterfall hunting I couldn't find a mentor and hmm. the waterfall hunting community can be very blunt and yeah very I guess you know harsh here's an <laughs> example words. yeah so, if some if some guy I'm I'm on a couple like Facebook groups of waterfall yeah. hunters and some guy will post a picture of his dog on the back of his pickup with limit of mallards and somebody who's new to the group will be like, oh, my gosh, where was that? And then everybody will just hammer him, hammer that guy. Like, are you kidding me? I would never give up my honey hole. Yeah. And like, oh, here, let me send you coordinates on a map. And, you know, it's coordinates to Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like people just mock that guy just because he's like, I'm trying to find knowledge. Yes. It is true. The waterfowl community is tough to break into. Yes, it is. And that's what motivates me now to be on social media. A, a second, the, a piece of it that motivates me to be on social media is to kind of break that, break that um, experience for new hunters and break mm-hmm. that, ex- break that I guess persona for the community, right? Because at the end of the day, us hunters we're here to just hunt. You know, you, um, you have to get away from politics. You got to get away from egos. If you're really out there to hunt and you love hunting. Um, you would share what you know with the community, you know. 
Including the spots you go? Oh, yeah, definitely. Not me, though. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, like, okay, I have my own personal honey holes and my own personal spots that I won't share, you know. But there are community spots that you can share with yeah. new hunters or just people, right? Like um, National Wildlife Refuges, right? Mm-hmm. I did not know you could hunt on National Wildlife Refuges, mm-hmm. you know. But, so how do you find out which refuges Heck, you can right hunt Heck, right, Bloomington, at? just like... Yeah. 10 miles south of my house, you can hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like on the Minnesota River. Right. You know? And my thought is, like, you know, share that information with the community because it's so close to town. Somebody with, you know, disabilities or who doesn't have the funds to travel far or who doesn't have, you know, enough experience, they can go to a National Wildlife Refuge where there's paved parking or, you know, the trails are easily, you know, set up for you. And it's easier, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's, um, it protects what we have to be able to hunt, right? And also if it brings in new people and creates a sense of community more, right? Like if, you know, like on TikTok, I was posting um, in different states, I do like seven, seven second videos of three national wildlife refuges that people can hunt on. Okay. And so... <laughs> Places you haven't been before. Places I've never been before. And I'll probably never go, you okay. know? And, and I, I mean, I did Minnesota first. Yeah. And then I did I started branching out to different states okay. and first of all, some people are saying, you know, oh yeah, do my state, do my state. I want to know more about my state. I'm like, okay, like let me put that out there for you so that you know it too, you know, because if you don't use it, you know, you'll lose it, right? Kind of deal. And then there's other people who are saying, Why are you giving away, you know, these refuges? Um, you know, it's already crowded enough, you know, like Really? Yeah, and I'm like, well, the thing is that if you are a hunter and you are hunting like if you're a true like not to say true hunter but if you love to hunt and you're hunting for the right reasons you wouldn't be hunting national wildlife refuges anymore you know like you would expand your knowledge you would, you would try to expand your knowledge and your experience by hunting tougher places or trying out different spots right because you have the knowledge and the experience to do so versus someone new who doesn't where a refuge is perfect for them right that's right yeah so yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, and like, even that can be overwhelming and intimidating. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, so, but I mean, like, still, as, a, as an experienced hunter or people who, you know, who have been hunting for a while, definitely share those places where, you know, it's kind of like a community area, right? Yeah. Hunt it yourself too, if you want, because you already know it's tough. Yeah. But you, it's just, if you want to, if you want to have success, that just means you have to try harder. Right. How do you tell me? I mean, uh, on, on opener. Yeah. What time do you have to get to your public spot? Oh, early. <laughs> like you like sleep in your truck. Yeah, sleep in my truck in the parking lot. Really? Yeah. So, and still another guy could pull in next to you and also hunt that same field. I mean, you could. Yeah. You kind of have dibs on that, but it's public. I mean, exactly. Yeah. So for yeah, back to opener first so, day. Yeah, how do you navigate that? Because I've never really I've done that a little bit, but I've tried to avoid it quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, so on opener, me and my buddy, like I said, me and my buddy went ducks and pheasants, and then the next day, Sunday, we met up with my dad and my brother to hunt uh, a public piece together on Sunday, and we get there. I think probably was it nine o'clock is shooting time. Mm-hmm. We got there like at four a.m. Mm. just to sit in our spot, and you sit there and drink coffee and. Take a nap, talk, yeah. you know, bullshit. <laughs> so, I yeah, don't no, no, you can swear on this podcast <laughs> for sure. And you know, we wait, and then as the time comes closer to nine o'clock, there's just cars 
pouring into this driving just slow driving past yeah just slow driving fast slow driving fast driving (laughs) and wherever there is a parking spot it was filled up pretty much you know when we got there there was no one there but as there are other parking spots on this piece of public land you're hunting yep do you communicate with those other hunters who are parked in the other spots nope or you just kind of like well they'll kind of take that part we'll kind of take this part yep They'll just, yeah, exactly. They'll just take that part. We'll take this part. And <clears throat> honestly, it's, do you love hunting? Do you want to hunt? Because if you do, then you'll walk what they just walked because. They might have missed birds. They might have missed birds. You know, Because your dog's better than their dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's how, how well you could, you know, hunt. I mean, how much you want to hunt, right? Right. And yeah, we literally had a car, another car parked maybe 100 yards from us oh. on the same side of the field. And uh-huh. so we were originally going to split up and two of us go take that side and Two of us walked the middle, but since they parked there, every, all of us in my group was going to just walk the middle. Okay. And it worked out because we shot, our, we shot our limit of eight birds in one hour. So No kidding. Yeah. Four guys. <laughs> Four guys. Eight birds. <laughs> Dang. So you had the best. And was there shooting happening in other spots in that? No. Too? <laughs> no. So you were in the best spot. Yeah. Which is why you got there at 4 a.m. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know, wow. and that, and the, you know, it's how you find the best spot is just through experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just learn where the birds are. It's true. Time after time, when you hit up a, a field, a couple, when you hit, when you walk into a field, or when you hunt a specific field multiple times, you just know where the birds are going to be. It doesn't matter the day yeah. or the weather. The birds are just going to be there because the habitat's there, right? So. The places that we hunt tend to be rural. Yep. Tend to be red state America. Mm-hmm. Tend to be a little more conservative in their outlook. Tend to be a little whiter. Mm-hmm. What's it like as a Hmong man or three or four Hmong men mm-hmm. walking into a diner in Marshall, Minnesota or Granite Falls or something like that? What's that like? Yeah. Um, you know, at first, I definitely had these insecurities, right? Or these misconceptions or, yeah, insecurities mostly of. I'm an Asian man walking into a building with a bunch of white people in a kind of red, conservative area. Um, I should, I either need to hide, you know, and try to be as invisible as possible and just get what I need and get out. Or, you know, I can be involved in the community, like either one or two, right? And so I just thought to myself, you know, I told myself one night, I was like, you know what? We're all people and at the core of it, you know, we all have to be kind and compassionate towards each other. And I don't think, you know, we see a lot of negativity on social media about, you know, race and stuff like that. But, you know, if, you know, I don't, if I don't have it up front with me, like if I don't experience it by myself, then I'm not going to bring in that um, judgment to it. Right. Like, so if I walk into a diner, I'm not going to say they're going to, they're hating on me because I'm Asian. Right. Or they don't want to help me because I'm Asian. I just need to say, I just need to think of it as, they're people, I'm people, I'm here to, you know, buy something and walk out and just talk, make, you know, and have you, be human. So. Have you experienced any racism in towns like that when you've been hunting? Um, one time in Fergus. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, our waiter wasn't the nicest, so. Interesting. Yeah. She kind of brought out our food, barely talked. Like, she said, I think the only thing she said was, what are you guys getting? And that was the only thing she said. And then here she is saying, you know, talking a storm with these other 
customers, right? And you know, it's it's what it's it's fine. You know, that's how she wants to live and be negative. That's fine. That's you know, I'm not saying you know like bad. I don't I don't like you know. I'm not gonna let that affect me. Yeah. Because I'm there to hunt and I'm there doing what I love to do, which is yeah. enjoying the outdoors and meeting new people and supporting Minnesota, right? Bringing money into cities or, you know, like yeah. just being human. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. And I think, yeah, I think that's what, that's what um, a lot of people of color is. It's hard for them to get into hunting because of course there's that misconception or there's that conception that it's white, mm-hmm. you know, red states and it's hard but and i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that it doesn't happen yes it happens but you know that shouldn't stop you is what i'm trying to say take out that negativity so how do you how do you maintain that positive attitude because like are there are there do you have um practices in your life or disciplines or is it part of your spirituality or something like that i think it's just how i was brought up is that right? Yeah, my mom always taught me to be nice and be compassionate. So let's just always have a positive outlook on things. And that's just how, yeah, even today. Because the focus whenever I'm hunting is I'm there to hunt. I'm not there yeah. to worry about anything else. So, um, I want to go back to TikTok for a second. Yeah. What the hell is TikTok, man? <laughs> because I got people sending me... It, Okay, there's this movement going on. This is that is not going to be even on your radar. Yeah. But there's all these people who are leaving evangelicalism, like people your age, mm-hmm. or people in their twenties, who are le- like grew up in conservative evangelical homes. Maybe went to a Christian college, Bethel, Wheaton, schools like that, and now they're like leaving Christianity, or they're and it's called deconstruction. They're deconstructing their faith, and a lot of them are doing it on TikTok. And so people send me these links to TikTok videos, which I watch. (laughs) And I find it confounding. Yeah. Because it's just like a split screen with one person talking in their TikTok video and another person pointing at the nodding like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Whatever, I agree. With the captions playing and whatever, maybe some music in the background. Uh Uh-huh. And like I understand what TikTok is. You you and I have talked about this before because I was a super early adopter on Twitter. I joined Twitter in 2008, yeah. way before, and you know just when Twitter went public. Um, and I was on a book tour, so I was like, oh, this new thing called Twitter. It seems really beneficial for my book tour. So I jumped on Twitter, and my now because of that, I have like a lot of Twitter followers. I mean, not. In the millions or anything, but like a decent amount <laughs> oh, yeah. for, for a for a non celebrity person. <laughs> verified um, too. Yeah, I'm verified. You know, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um so you're an early adopter on TikTok, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering what is the magic you think in that platform that's lacking in uh Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, the other big three. I think TikTok first TikTok has a really good crazy algorithm right like it better than the others yeah way better than others it'll bring you to communities that you have always you know been a part of you know like hunt if you go on there and hunt and you like to hunt you go on there you'll just see hunting videos and then i'll break it down right like i like to hunt because of food so they'll start showing you you know more wild game videos or people right it just um it's easier to find 
um, related things on there, mm-hmm. right, and related mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I think TikTok is good for uh, reach, right? So you have a lot of reach with TikTok, but when it comes to community and building community, is it goes back to like Instagram and Facebook, you know. So oh yeah, so like you know, I would put a video out and it would reach someone who relates to me, right? Mentoring adult hunters, um, learning to hunt. And from there, they can find my Instagram where they could come into my community kind of like, okay, you know, this is where what I like to do. And they can, you know, follow along based on that. So mm-hmm. I think TikTok is great for reach. It's just, it's just, I think the new thing, you know, <laughs> it's crazy good. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Do, do you generate revenue from TikTok? No, I don't. But some people do. Yes. In- influencers do. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. My kids tell me that the crazy thing about TikTok is somebody can get a million views on a video and then their next video gets like almost nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's because of that algorithm, I'm guessing. Like, yeah. That's it's not because of their subscribers or their followers. Nope. It's because who to whom TikTok is serving up that last video. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like, to explain more, like I could take an hour on putting together a great video uh-huh. and I'll have no views. But then I could spend 10, sec- 10 minutes on doing a video that I, I really like, that I, you know, I just don't even think about. I just do it because it's natural. That's what I like, you know, and that will get hundreds of views or thousands of views, you know. It's crazy. Like the algorithm, it just knows to pick people who relate to you. It knows. Yeah. It knows, <laughs> I don't buddy. know how, I'm but... telling you, man. <laughs> the end is nigh. The end is nigh. It, it, yeah. it's, it's reading your... All right. Well... That's, I don't think, you know, I've told my kids this too. I think I've said this to you as well, but it's just like, you got to draw a line at some point. I'm going to turn 54 this month. <laughs> and, you know, I don't need to do every, it's, it's so funny because I spent, um, my mom's out of town. My dad died a few years ago and my mom's out of town. So I'm watching her house for her and she's like, can you please just, there's so much stuff in there of your dad's that you could get rid of. So I dismantled his entire sound system, which he loved, like a dual cassette player. He had a CD player with a carousel that held, held like 400 CDs, and he had them all written down on a yellow legal pad, like CD number 001, Frank Sinatra. And it's all obsolete. It's all in the back of my mom's car, and she's going to go like give it at Best Buy. They take it for free. Oh, wow. It's just junk. Yeah. It's no longer, it, it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. It would kill my dad, though, if yeah. he knew this. <laughs> if he weren't already dead and he saw his beloved sound system that he'd built and spent thousands of dollars on in the back of my mom's car, ready to get basically thrown in a dumpster, he'd be super bummed about it. But also, it's like this stuff changes, you know? And at yeah. a certain point, my dad couldn't figure out Spotify. Yeah. He was fine with his CD carousel. And that's cool. And I'm okay with my Twitter, is yeah. what I'm saying. And probably <laughs> I'm going to let you be the hunter, yeah. run the hunting on TikTok. We did give Clubhouse a try. Yeah, I think Clubhouse was really great. For- You're still doing it? No, I stopped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, It was a good idea, but it never <clears throat> seemed to get much traction. Yeah, it was good during the pandemic because, again, you didn't have that social interaction. Yeah. And it provided a space where you can have that social interaction, 
you know, during, yeah. yeah. And so, I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, what is Clubhouse? Yeah. They've never heard of it. <laughs> but it was like an audio Twitter or like an yeah. audio, audio only, live audio yep. kind of deal. Twitter adopted it. Uh, kind right. Of, yeah. And so some spaces. People, I'm, yeah. I see some people doing that. <clears throat> um, okay. You said you wanted to run a new, you got a new theory. What's it about mystery hunters or what's, what's, oh. <laughs> what's it? Yeah. So I'm writing an article oh, okay. for article. my website. Um, your website is minnesota-hunter.com. Okay. Yep. It's your centralized place where you can learn how to hunt and follow along with my journey. And yeah, just, you know. Stop. A blog? A blog. Yep. Blog it's a blog too. basically. It's a blog and a learning to hunt place. So yeah. Uh, yeah. A field journal and blog. Okay. So field journal is, you know, or my field journal is where I put, you know, my hunts in there so you can follow along. And then yeah. my blog is basically to write about whatever I'm feeling what I want to talk about, yeah. um, and just put my voice out there. Really, yeah. It's a, it's, I, I started the website to just basically have a, a place where I could put my voice out there for people to relate and find. So. Okay, so now again, you you must like it. It's different than Twitter or or Facebook or TikTok because you can do longer form stuff. You yep. can have more photos. Like, yep. Yeah, bigger and format. I, I control it, right? You control it. Yeah. So not. The Chinese government <laughs> no. or whoever controls <laughs> TikTok. Yeah, yep, exactly. I, I yeah, I get it. I get to control it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I put out there, and yeah, so I'm writing a blog for my website right now, okay. and maybe I'll put it out to other, you know, pitch it out to other uh-huh. uh, media outlets, outlets yeah. you know, yeah. see if they'll publish it or whatnot. But um, it's basically about uh, I call it the secret hunters. So, who are the secret hunters, right? Uh, I'm not gonna go too much into it because I want you to read it. Okay. But it's basically about the Hmong, the Hmong people huh. hunting. So, um, in the well, during- tell me a little. I want. I'm, <laughs> I'm totally fascinated now because I have I've I've had experience with Hmong anglers. Yep. And unfortunately, there's also been some bad press in the, around the Twin Cities about like sometimes they'll find Hmong anglers. I mean, they find white anglers too who yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, but Hmong anglers, they'll pop their trunk open and there'll be 400 sunfish. In, yeah. You know, because they're, they're obviously fishing for food. Right. And they're, maybe some of them are coming from a place where there weren't limits and regulations on the yep. take, right? Yep, definitely. Yeah, I mean, in any group, there's bad people who yeah. make the group bad, right? Yeah. But yeah. when it comes to being a minority, it's just easier to pick yeah, out and sure. talk yeah. about more, right? Um, and that's what media is, you know, whatever people write, whatever, you know, like yeah. they can do that. That's what media can it's do. It's why it's so important what you're doing to give a, another narrative. Of yeah, that, you ex- exactly. You know, that's why I want to put my voice out there for my community. Being in the Hmong community is just show them, you know, we don't just, not everybody is like that. You know, you have bad eggs in every yeah. community, yeah. but majority, just like in the hunting community, we're all hunters. We're here to hunt and we're Who good are people. the secret hunters? So the secret hunters are the Hmong people. Okay. And they're the Hmong hunters in North America. Um, so in during the Vietnam War, the Hmong people, which is an ethnic group in um, what is it, southeast China or Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. um, during the Vietnam War, uh, they helped the United States CIA fight uh, communism. But the Hmong people didn't have their own nation. No. Which is part of the pro- reason they got displaced. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Okay. But they understood about, you know, freedom, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to be, they wanted to do, they, they had that sense of freedom and they wanted that for 
themselves, you know. And that's why they, I think that's why they fought for, uh, fought with the U.S. right okay. against communism. Yeah. And so there, it was known as the Secret War. So if you look up the Hmong Secret War. Um, oh, all right. Yeah, because yes, you know. I see where you're going with this. <laughs> yes. So the Hmong people, like, they knew the jungle, they knew the landscape. They were there to help the United States try to have an advantage in the war and win it, right? And, you know, unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out. And um, we, the United States pulled out and, you know, we had refugees, or, yeah, we had refugees come to the United States. And so I, I call it the secret hunters because. In today's media, um, you don't see many Hmong people represented in the media. And that's not one, no one's fault, right? I mean, it's great that organizations are running, are, are gearing towards in, inclu- uh, representation and stuff like that. And, you know, the new hunters and everyone appreciates it. And, but, like, the Hmong people, they're still not represented. And I think the reason why is because they don't want, uh, they don't, need to they don't care to you know what i mean if they have the opportunity to yes they'll do it but you know they're not there's not much reach from my community to do it because at the core they're focused about hunting so they're you're saying that they're hunting in large numbers but we don't see them represented represented in some ways because of media bias but in other ways because they just aren't advertising the fact that they're hunters yeah exactly they're just not advertising it and do you think they should um, I think they, you know, definitely, sh- yeah, I think they definitely should just so we have more representation, you know, and um, have our own voices mm-hmm. at the core of it is to have our own voices, right? But, you know, they don't because at the end of the day, they, they're not, they don't care about, you know, rep- uh, media, like they don't care about to be in the media. They don't care about um, having the best gear. Their, my community is there to just hunt, yeah, you know that's what they focus on. And, the, and, and am I right in thinking they're mainly hunting, like your dad did, squirrel yep. and deer? Mm-hmm. There's not so many pheasant hunters. There's not so many upland hunters. I think no. Today there's a, there's quite a couple. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Probably you've recruited some of them. N- yes, my own yeah. circle friends. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but yeah, like there's a lot of Hmong hunters out there, but they huh. just stay out of the media. Interesting. Um, you know, and they because at the core of it. They're there to hunt, to feed themselves and their community, right? And also for enjoyment, right? So, but... What are some other things you think that we should know about Hmong, Hmong people, Hmong Hmong culture? You and I talked when we duck hunted together a bit about Hmong spirituality and religion, which I found fascinating. Yeah, um, one thing to know is we're very community-oriented or family-oriented, you could say, you know, so... And again, just like the American American dream, everyone wants to have, you know, a great life where they don't have to suffer and or you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like just the American, just another American, but you know, they just keep it to themselves, really. What What about? Tell me, explain to me a little bit about Hmong spirituality or what's the traditional Hmong religion. Yeah, so uh, traditional is the traditional religion is shamanism. So we have a shaman who is connected to the spiritual world, and the spiritual world consists of past ancestors who basically can tell the shaman um, what's going what's going on, right? Mm. So whenever there, if you have like let's just say you have bad luck, 
you get into an accident, you get sick, or you know, whatever the case, in order to find the explanation, you would reach out to a shaman to talk to the spiritual world to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So, for example, like I could be, or someone could be sick, and they'll go to the shaman, and the shaman will visit the spirit world, and they'll say, "Oh, you know, you're being, you're sick because your uncle." Um, didn't receive a, a meal at his grave or something like that. So you need to go visit your uncle at his grave. And that will make you not sick anymore. Mm. Stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. It gets crazy sometimes, but... Uh, well, <laughs> all religion gets crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have temples? Like, do you have regular worship or things like that? Yeah, we have um, little temples inside each home. Oh. So, yeah. But not like a building you all go to once a week or no. anything like that? No. Are there special like, oh, a shrine? That's what you call it, a shrine. A shrine, yeah, in shrine. your house, yeah. a shrine in your house, and then, but you must have, oh, like Hmong New Year's or there mm-hmm. are there like festivals. What are and they must be somewhat religion religious. Uh, no, they're just cultural celebrations. They're just cultural celebrations. Okay. Hmong New Year is um, in the winter, fallish, mm-hmm. kind of like you know the harvest season, right? Harvest is done, everybody gathers, celebrates, eats, and. Another Hmong event in the Minnesota is the soccer tournament. So, yeah, the July 4th soccer tournament. So, yeah. But nothing tied to religion. Really? Really. It's just more community. No, like, temples or no places you all go get together and. Nope. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because most religions do have that. They have some kind of a Mm -hmm. church or a synagogue or a temple or Mm -hmm. a place where people gather. Yeah. It's usually in, in in the home of the person who. Is doing, you know, yeah, yeah. So okay, um, and then last, how about like um, food? What, what, and especially, are there um, ways that you prepare your wild game? Like, how do you cook your pheasant in traditional like Southeast Asian recipes or something oh, yeah. like that? How do you do that? What are some of your favorites? Favorite would be just boiled with salt, pepper, and herbs <laughs> so that's like oh, over rice or something yeah or over what? rice yeah. With, with rice yeah. um or jerky so okay a lot of um smoking and jerky uh-huh is is what it's really done and mostly i think uh, it's mostly uh what is it soups broths yeah yeah because you get the most out of it right? i feel right. like they have that because you know you get the most out of it because you can eat all the meat off of it so yeah um, that's what do you have some pheasant in your freezer right now oh yeah oh you do i got a recipe coming out so Oh, what's that going to be? Um, it's called lemon, lemon pepper, was it? Pheasant, lemon pepper wet uh, wontons. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so I'm a wonton Stay tuned out. for that. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. I've got, um, I came up, I mean, I didn't make it up or whatever, but uh, I'm making pheasant tacos tonight, but here's how I'm doing the pheasant these days. So I um, brine it, and then I rinse it off, and then I cover it with, like, some kind of taco seasoning, or I have a friend who sent me a bunch of chipotle um, spice and that he roasted on his, on his grill. And, um, and then I'll grill. You know, you've been at my house. I got that inside grill. So I'll just grill it real fast. But then I put it in a vac seal bag and put it in the sous vide. Oh, for like three hours. So then, because pheasant is pretty dry, man. Yeah, it's not it like is. chicken. It There's is. no fat. Yeah. There's not a lot of moisture in it. Nope. It, 
it can dry out real fast on the grill. Or this is why we do a lot of like jerky with it, or you put it in curries, and so it's surrounded <laughs> by liquid, always yeah. liquid, liquid, the liquid, right? Yeah. Even then, it's still dry. <laughs> it's still pretty dry. It can be pretty rubbery. Yeah. Because I made a pheasant curry soup. And it was still dry. So. Yeah, and it's part of the reason you brine it. So it yeah. kind of that salt makes the muscle contract and retain more moisture. I think in the cooking process, but this sous vide method now, yeah, there's no the moisture can't escape. So then when I get home tonight, I'll cut that bag open and and shred all that. Like it's still on the you know it's still on the bird. It's still like on the bone. Nice. And I'll shred all that. And it's already got the taco seasoning. The onions are in the bag with it too. So yeah, yeah, nice. That, that seems to be a pretty decent way to make yeah. pheasant where the where it doesn't dry out. Are you do a, adobo seasoning? Yep. Like, my friend sent me some adobo too. Nice that he made himself with by roasting those veg, uh, roasting those yeah. peppers on his grill and then drying them, grinding them up, and yeah. You have to have us over for dinner again. I know, but you should have me over for dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Last thing before we go. How, you have to give me a number. How many snow geese do you guarantee that I'll shoot when you take me out? Because I've never shot a snow goose before. And all we, me I, go either. To, I go to you haven't either. Nope. I go to South Dakota, man, in the fall. Yeah. And I see millions. Yes. Millions and millions. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm an exaggerator. This is not an exaggeration. Yeah. Millions of snow geese. Yeah. In the air. And in fields. And I'm like, how have I not shot one of these right? before? I know, right? But we got to get after it. <laughs> yeah, we got to get after it. There's no limit even. No, no we limit. We can just get into them. <laughs> yeah. The problem is guys have like, they put out like 1,500 decoys on a field. Yeah, they do. And that's Which the... I'm guessing you don't have 1,500 decoys. Nope. <laughs> so... Which is why most people have hire a guide. Yeah. Who've got those decoys. Yeah, it's a lot easier. And, and who've scouted. Yeah. It's more worth, I mean, if you want to try hunting in general or like waterfall hunting and, you know, you want to have success and try it out, a guide is a great way to go for yeah. your first experience. But yeah. to answer your question, how many birds I can guarantee you or snow geese, <laughs> zero probably because Come on. that's hunting though. It's not guaranteed. I you know, know what I mean? It's like, it's not guaranteed, but you know, I've been like, I haven't shot a snow goose yet in these five years. I've been chasing them for four years now. Uh-huh. So you drive around in western Minnesota looking for where they're feeding. Yeah. I was like, my first year, all I did was drive around, saw a lot of geese, didn't see any snow geese. Uh-huh. Second year, um, I drove out further, right, stayed towards more of the Dakotas. Yep. That's where I found geese, or snow geese, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, after that, the third year, you know, I went to a field, had a couple decoys, silhouettes, but, you know, they didn't come in. Um, it was more of a learning experience of what the geese were doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I picked out that they were landing in fields with swans, um, just like a couple swans, right? Hmm. Because they've been pressured so much with these yeah. 1,500 spreads, 1,500 silhouette or sock spreads that, you know, they, they're very, what is it called? Very skittish. Skittish. Yeah, uh-huh. And so, you know, it's, I don't know, this year, let's see how it works out. I Come just, on, baby. I know. <laughs> you got some swan decoys? That's what you need, it sounds like. Yeah, no, so I bought some, ma- like, the huge Canada goose decoys uh-huh. off of uh, Facebook Marketplace uh-huh. for, like, I, I think it was only, like, 60 bucks for 12. Oh. 
and I'm going to paint them white. Oh, so, smart. Yeah, so just try that. Hey, you man, know? I'll go sit in a field with you someday. I mean, what the yeah, heck? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's the thing. What like, you have you to know? lose? It's better <laughs> yeah. than sitting in an office all day. Exactly, you know. So, you know, being a hunter, you know, you, you just do you, how hard do you want to hunt and, you know, how successful do you want to be? If you want to be successful, you just have to put in extra work, you know, than the next guy, so. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to getting back out in the field with you. Yeah, me too. Definitely. We'll have to update people, so stay Yeah, tuned. we will. Yeah, we'll update. Yeah. I'll, you know, we'll definitely do updates. <laughs> All right, thanks. All right.